Well, thank you for coming this morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Outward Church. I just have a couple of uh, announcements for you. Um, we, ha- we talk about this frequently. Uh, we are a church that desires to love Jesus and live outward. And as a result, that means that we go and we serve our city. And one of the ways that we're doing that is through Richmond Elementary. Uh, and we are putting together a soccer camp. And that's happening on, uh, from August 29th through September 2nd. You can sign up to help out with that at Connect Central. You can sign up to uh, take your kids to that. It'll be at Richmond Elementary, and we're inviting the neighborhood kids to be a part of that. It's an opportunity uh, for you, if you're a dad, to help serve um, kiddos that don't have dads. It's an opportunity uh, for you to, uh, to, to serve uh, within the community and to actually live out what you claim to uh, believe if you, in fact, claim to believe that you are a, uh, a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, in addition to this, if, if you want to uh, follow along with the sermon today, you can get into the Bible app, and uh, I'm assuming that's an app that you can just download. I should have asked on that, but you might try out the Bible app and, and uh, see how you could follow along with what we're, uh, what we're doing today. We're in the book of Habakkuk, and uh, Habakkuk is, is not uh, everyone's favorite book. Uh, most of us would, would probably not say, you know, I, and quote a verse from Habakkuk and say, man, that really worked on my heart, that really worked on my life. Um, but a guy by the name of Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, an old uh, monk uh, from many, many, many years ago, uh, was somebody who was deeply impacted by a verse from Habakkuk. And as a result, in, in many ways, you're sitting here today because of uh, the realization that Martin Luther had uh, through Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which we'll get to in a minute here. But essentially what he, uh, what he figured out through reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, was that uh, getting to God is not by way of his own righteousness. Getting to God cannot be purchased. Getting to God cannot be done by being a good person. Getting to God uh, means that God gets to you, that God gets to you, and God, and God does something in your life and in your heart. And so he was deeply impacted by that. As a result, he opposed the Catholic Church at that time and evangelicalism, uh, if that's even a, a thing anymore. It's a very loose term anymore. But uh, Christians today um, who believe the Bible um, are, are people who very much rest in the work that Martin Luther did during that time. And so um, that's a, a very important piece to uh, this passage. But let me just quickly review for you what's been happening. Habakkuk looks at his world. He looks at his city. He looks at God's people because he's in Judah, and this is part of Israel. He's in Judah, and he is uh, looking at all of the sin, and he's looking at all of the violence, and he's looking at everything that's taking place, and he's, and he's saying, how long, Lord, are you going to make me look at iniquity and make me look at sin? Where are you when your people are sinning on this level? And he's talking about violence. He, he's talking about all kinds of things taking place. And he's saying, God, how long, how long is it going to be until you address this stuff and make this happen? And so his kind of whole theme is that, God, you are taking too long to make this happen. You're, you're taking too long to, uh, to deal with this. But God's response to him is horrific. Because God responds to Habakkuk, who's a prophet, so his job is to hear from God and to speak to the people. Um, so he hears from God, 
And God says, um, you're right, I am going to judge my people, but I'm going to use the worst uh, group of people that you could ever possibly think of, the most violent, the craziest, the drunkest group of people that you've ever heard of, and they are going to decimate the city. They are going to destroy everything. Now, let me tell you why that's important, and it's because of this, because you could go to a lot of churches that always talk about happy things, that, you, that always talk about how things can get better and how life can be, can be different, and and by and large, most of us want to hear that. Like, um, we come to Jesus, or you come to, ch- you, maybe you came to church today because life, in some respects, is not working out for you. And things are not uh, going well. And so you feel this draw towards God. And that's a good thing. But what you need to know is that your faith in God is very much uh, dependent in some ways in how you view God and what you, uh, how, how you look at Him when things fall apart. Because you could come to God. And then life could fall apart, and you could say, I guess God doesn't exist because life is falling apart, because I lost a spouse, I lost a child, I lost a job, I lost a lot of different things. So there's all of this loss, or you look at the world and you say, look at all of the violence and the oppression and the fighting and everything, and how could God exist and yet not deal with these things? And God is saying to Habakkuk, hang on a minute. Wait for it, he's going to say in this passage that we talk about today. And he's, he's going to say, wait for it. Just, just wait for it. Wait for what I have in store for you. So God is here about to respond to Habakkuk. And, and Habakkuk, I think, in some ways is expecting uh, God to come, come down and say, who are you to question me? Who are you to, to question what I'm doing or how I'm doing it? But God in essence, comes back to Habakkuk and he says something kind of kind in, in some ways. And so here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. We really were going to cover this last week. I don't think I got to it. Um, but uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wise as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And we'll stop right there. Now, these these words right here are incredibly important. I don't have any frills for you this morning. I wish I had uh, some stories to tell you about this. But I I really just kind of want to jump in and just say that this is incredibly important in your Christian life. Like if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to understand something. You need to understand what this, what this scripture says. You need to understand what it's, what it's saying because, because of this. It's not sexy, but it's absolutely important. It's not sexy. It's not something that we want to hear. It's not something that we, that we think that we need to hear, but it's absolutely important. And so what's important about this passage? 
Well, he says at the top there in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And here's what we've said about Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a man of God, and he's a great man of God. And so what he's doing right here and right now is he is saying, he said all these things to God. How long, O Lord? Aren't you from everlasting? Don't, aren't you eternal? Aren't you all-powerful? Aren't you the one who's in control of all things? And yet here are your people, and they're sinning like this, and then you're going to go ahead and use the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to kill us off, to judge us? How could you do that, God? How could you do that? But then he says at the end of this, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Now, what does that mean? Do you know sometimes, like when you go through something really difficult, let's just, let's just dig deep here. We've talked a lot about being childless because we're a church of many young married. Some of you aren't married yet, and I know that. And some of you are just kind of wincing like, I want to be married. But, but we're a church of a lot of young married. And one of the themes that I hear on a regular basis is we want to have kids, but we can't. We want to have kids, but we can't. Or we want to have kids, but we lost one. And we've lost two, or we've, we've lost three. We keep having miscarriages. People are consistently running into things like that. That, that one hits really close to home. But then there's, there's the stuff that just happens in life on a regular basis where, where you, may be, you may have prayed about this. And, and maybe it's something like, we bring up sexuality a lot. Maybe it's your sexuality and you're saying, I don't understand my sexuality because I don't feel uh, the, way that I, the way that I look. Or I don't feel like I should be operating sexually in the way that the Bible says. I feel like I should be operating this way. But I keep praying and God keeps not answering me. Or we keep praying and asking God for change in our city or in our world. And then you look at the presidential candidates and you just go, there's a lot of prayer that needs to happen there. Like there's stuff going down in our world right now. And it just seems like God doesn't answer over and over again. I mean, think about the things that have happened in your life. Think about the things that you've been praying about. Think about the things that you've been struggling with. Let's just, maybe you're somebody who's just never really struggled and you've never really had issues like that. Think about that time when you get there and you pray and God does not answer you in the timetable that you think that he should. What should your response be? Well, Habakkuk very simply says this, I will station myself I'm sorry, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. What does he say? He says this, I will take my stand at the watch post. What's he mean by this? He's thinking in battle terms, and he's thinking about a fortified city. And he's essentially looking at himself in this way and and, and his life, and he's saying, I'm going to go up on this tower to my watch post, and really what he's thinking about is he's thinking about when they'd be looking for the enemy, when they'd be looking for him. They would constantly be looking for this enemy. They're, they're looking for any movement out in the, the trees and the bushes, any, anything like that, look for ways where they could get in and, and things of that nature. But he transfers that to the way that he's looking for God to speak into his life. And here's why this is important, is that, You and I can pray 
and then turn around and say, I guess he hasn't answered. I guess he hasn't answered. Oh, well, God, where are you? Who, who do you think you are not to answer my prayer? Do you even exist? Do you even care? But Habakkuk says, I'm waiting right here. I'm stopping right here. I'm waiting until you answer me. And so he's stationed himself on the tower. And that's the next thing is that he's sitting there. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's looking for God to answer. He's looking around and he's looking for any possible angle that he could be at. But the second thing he does is that he's in a tower. And so what's he doing up on this tower? He has to get to a place that has a better view than where he's at right now. When you're in the middle of evil times, when you're in the middle of all kinds of crazy stuff, you've got to get to your tower. Where's your tower? Where's your tower above the mess, above the crap that's going on in your life, above everything that's taking place? How do you get to that tower? Where is that in your life? Where's the tower where you're going to be able to hear from God and you're not just going to sit there and say, well, that could have been God answering or things just could have changed. No, because someone who's sitting on the watchtower says this, I'm looking for any possibility of God's movement in my life. And they separate themselves from their problem. They elevate themselves, not in a prideful way, but they elevate themselves. They get above the issue. It's as though it's almost, and not, I don't even want to say this, but I'm going, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You leave the pain down there. You leave the discomfort down there. And you step above it and you say, if God is almighty, if God is all-powerful, if he loves me beyond belief, if he created me, you're saying all the things that you know about God. And you're saying those things and you're saying, if he is all those things, if he is all of these uh, uh, attributes and and character traits, then he should be able to speak to me. And he should be able to speak to this issue. But here's the problem. So many people get wrapped up in their pain. And I've met countless people who have said, I don't care. I'm just going to go do whatever I want because God's not answering me. I'm just going to go do whatever I I see fit. I'm going to respond to this thing in kind. It's, it's, It's somebody who's at work who's just a pain it's, it's somebody who just, con- they're, they're, they're constantly coming after you. They're nitpicking your work. They're criticizing your religion. They're, 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 they're persecuting you, uh, perhaps. And you're just like, you're constantly up against us. And, and you finally get to a point where you just say, I'm just going to respond in kind. And so you respond in anger. You respond in anger. I've told you before that my life has been made up of those types of things. How I flipped somebody off who happened to be a part of the ministry that I was serving in on, on, on the road. This was many years ago. But don't think, I don't think about it today. And it wasn't just one bird, it was two birds. The double flipper to somebody as they were driving by. A girl in my youth ministry. And, and right when she got in front of me, I, I was like, oh, that's Amber. Hi. You know, one, one of those. My anger has taken over my life at times. My, my unwillingness to, to say, like, this, this is okay. 
my unwillingness to, to be patient in the midst of circumstances, it's not just in a stupid thing like that, but it's in everyday life. It's an overall impatience with God and what he's doing in my life. And I'm unwilling to wait for him. And so many people do this and they say, I've prayed about this for however many years and he hasn't answered me, so I'm walking away. They doubt God and they doubt God and they doubt God and then they're done. But Habakkuk does something different. He gets to his watchtower. He stations himself there and he says, I'm waiting here for God. I'm waiting for him. Let me just ask you something. Do you wait for God or do you just do whatever you want? Do you wait for God to answer you or do you do just just whatever feels right at that moment. I want to tell you there's no bigger issue today. And I, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer every time I talk about this, but it, it's not a disclaimer. This comes up every single day. It's the number one issue. Homosexuality is the number one issue. And transgender stuff is, is the number one issue that people bring up when they talk about church. Well, you guys are those people that hate those people who are dealing with that. That's absolutely not true. Christians are people who love people uh, no matter what, no matter where they're at. Why? Because Christians know they're just as screwed up as anybody else in this world. We are just as screwed up, and the only thing different about us is that we're willing to admit how screwed up we are and how much we need Jesus more than anybody else. And so what the problem comes, though, is, is when people say, I'm not going to wait for him any longer to answer me. I'm not going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. How could he allow me or desire for me to go through this pain for the rest of my life? And I just want to tell you that if you're going to make it, if you're going to express faith in God, you're going to have to get into the watchtower. You're going to have to elevate yourself above the issue, and you're going to have to wait on God. You're going to have to wait on God. So that's the first part of that. And he says he's going to station himself there. And I, I'm going to wait to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Let me go further with that verse. You're in your watchtower. You're at an elevated position. But how are you listening to God? How are you listening to God? Because listening to God does not happen through just listening to a group of friends who have some sort of religious affiliation. Because I have heard all kinds of ungodly and horrible advice come from other Christian people. Even people who claim to be in ministry and claim to be pastors who have given horrific advice that does not align itself with the word of God. And so the tower is not just simply a place where you're elevated above your problem, but it's elevated in such a way that says, I'm waiting for God to speak. And what's the primary way in which God has spoken to us? God has spoken to us through his word. I once had somebody years ago say to me, but God speaks to me personally and, and sometimes I believe that that supersedes the scripture because God said it to me. God, God does not contradict himself. He cannot contradict himself. Otherwise, he'd be lying. And so the problem is, is that when you say that somehow I'm hearing from God independent of his word, of his revealed word, what you're not, 
what you're not doing is you're not waiting on God. You said, I am going to speak to myself about this. So now I am determinate. Now I'm the one who's going to speak into my life. I'm the one who's going to speak into these things. Or I'm going to let somebody else speak into these ideologies and into these things that I'm, that I'm dealing with. I'm going to start reading authors who constantly doubt God and tell you, oh yeah, just go ahead and just stop attending church for a while. And, and stop reading your Bible and just see what happens. I can tell you what happens. You walk away from God. That's what happens. It doesn't mean that you don't investigate what other people are saying, but you say, why don't I want to believe that? And you come back to the Word of God and you say, how does this speak into my life? How is this thing going to determine why I should stay in my marriage? Even beyond what they've done to me. Even beyond how I feel about this situation, even beyond that, like I realize it hurts, but the Word of God is clearly communicating to me that no matter how I feel or what's going on, that God has something to say to me. God has something to speak to me. And so when you go up to the tower and you wait and you watch for God, the thing that you're doing is you're saying you're elevating yourself not just above life and above the hurt, but you're elevating yourself above your own thoughts. And you're saying, my thoughts come from me and from the evil that's in my heart. My thoughts are, are, are speaking to me in a way that, that, that is not right, that is not true. My heart is deceitful above all else. And so the things that I'm saying to me are not right. Well, I just want to be happy, and God wants me to be happy. No, that's from, that's from Satan. That's from the pit of hell. Does God want you to be happy? He wants you to be happy, joyful in Him, not in your own way of meeting your own needs. To heck with your happiness as you see it. If you ever say that, just remember that Pastor Matt said this, and the Word of God says this. My happiness is garbage. My happiness, what I perceive to be joy, is not real. My only true joy comes from God and through His Word and seeing His glory be fulfilled in all the earth. Let's move on to verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. And what's he saying to Habakkuk? He's saying, I'm going to answer you right now, and I, and, I, and I want you to write this down. I want you to make it plain. I want you to like chisel this thing into stone. And so what does that mean for us? When God speaks, when he answers you in your watchtower while you're waiting, write it in stone. It means this, tell some other Christian people about what, what you believe God is speaking. Look at this scripture that God spoke to me through, or this sermon on this scripture, or these Christian friends who led me back to the word of God, and who confirmed what the Holy Spirit seemed to be saying to me, like, look at this, like, write it in stone, because so many times, so many of us get to a point where God speaks, we forget and then we're back in the same place that we were. But he says, write it on tablets. Write this 
down. Make it plain so that he may run who reads it. Now, what does that mean? Well, prophets were people who were to run with a message. They were to take God's message and they were to run. And what that means is they were to proclaim it throughout the world. They were to proclaim it throughout the city. They were to proclaim what was going on. So God is saying to Habakkuk, like, I'm going to speak to you here. I want you to write it in stone. I want you to write this sucker down and don't forget it. And then I want you to tell people about it. And what does this mean to us? It means this, that God is going to use your pain as his great proclamation in other people's lives. God could use your pain. God could use the, the difficulty in your marriage, how you stayed even though you felt like, like leaving. God could use your pain in the loss of children or the inability to have children so that you may run and go proclaim the goodness of God even in the midst of child loss. That God could speak to other people in and through your pain. That God could show his great glory, his great mercy, his great goodness in and through the most difficult season of your life. Are you convinced of that? That God could use the, the, the most difficult thing that you've ever gone through for his glory. And you say, God, how could you? You say, only a good God could. Only a good God can. Because if there isn't a God, then your suffering is meaningless. Your suffering is meaningless. The things that you're going through have no purpose. But if God is good and he can take your greatest pain and he can use it for his greatest good, that's an incredible God. That is an absolutely incredible God. So that he may run, who reads it, to proclaim this. Proclaim what God has done for you in and through your difficulty. And so God says this, Verse 3, for, the, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is saying this to you. My vision for your life is bigger than your life. My vision for your life is bigger than your life. It's bigger than what you think is going on. So many times we get stuck in our, in our little world. And inside of our little world, it's just like, God, how come you're not doing something right here? But God is far above. He is close to us personally. But he is also over all, over all things. But here's the problem. And that is that we cannot seem to wait. We cannot seem to wait. Waiting on God. Waiting and waiting and waiting. Could it be that God has a vision for what's taking place in your life that has eternal implications? And I can tell you this, it absolutely does. God's vision for your life has eternal implications. The way that you respond to the things that are going on in your life has eternal implications. It shows who you are. It shows who you love. It shows where your faith is. And God is saying this to you. He's saying, 
For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. I'm telling you what's going to happen. And you're going to feel like it takes forever to get there. Like it absolutely forever, it it takes forever to get there. It never seems to come. It, It never seems to happen. And he says, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. My vision will come true. What I say comes true. If it seems slow, wait for it. Just wait for it. Somebody comes to you, or or maybe you're feeling this way, and you say, man, I've prayed to God about this. I've prayed to him, and, and he just doesn't seem to remove the pain. You know what the proper response is? Just wait for it. I wish I had some more words for you. There's some things about God that I just don't understand. I don't know why he's making you wait. I don't know, I don't know why he's decided to do, it, do this in your life. But you can be assured of this, that he has a vision that's bigger than what you think. So you just need to wait for it. You need to wait upon him. You need to read his word. You need to be a part of the church. You need to walk with him and just wait for him to accomplish his ultimate vision in your life. And basically what God is saying here is he's saying, you know, Habakkuk, I know about the people that you're complaining about that are a part of your own city. I know that there's people in sin all around you, and they're, and they're claiming to be Christians, and they're doing whatever they want. And I know that Babylon is going to do this and, you, and, and you're just kind of going, God, how could you do this? And God is saying this. He's saying, Babylon's day is coming. I am going to take care of them in due time. Don't worry. I am going to right every wrong. Here is the beginning of the actual vision, verse 4. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, he just talked about two different kinds of people in our world. He said, Behold, his soul is puffed up within him. It is not upright within him. So he's talking about the prideful person. And who is this prideful person? It's the person in Judah who claims to be one of God's people, who really is in fact one of God's people, and yet they're just continually sinning, they're continually sinning, they're continually sinning. And God is saying this, he's saying, uh, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Why? Because of this, because he believes that what he thinks is the final word in all of life. You'll hear this over and over again in our world today. You're not up to date with history. Christian who believes the Bible about sexuality or abortion, they'll call us fanatics. They'll call us people 
who uh, we just, we're, we're just behind the times. We're not loving. We're hateful. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Do you know why we believe those things? Because of this. I submit to God. Do you think it's easy for me to oppose people and to say, I just disagree with you. I love you, but I disagree with you. God loves you, but he disagrees with you. Oh, you're hateful. His soul is puffed up within him because he refuses to hear God. What's true for him is true for him. God has not made any law that he must follow. He is a law unto himself, as it says about Babylon earlier. But do you know whose problem this is? It's not just Babylon's problem, but it's Judah's problem. And guess what? It's my problem. And guess what? It's your problem as well. Your and my problem is that my soul is puffed up within me. It is not right within me. I think I know what's best. I think I can de determine what should take place. Hey, God, I've prayed to you. I've given to you. I've served you. And yet you don't give me what I want. You don't answer me in my timeline. And therefore, I'm going to say to you that you don't exist. I'm going to say that you, that you don't really have any bearing on my life, that your laws are bunk, and I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want. Well, guess what? That's a self-determined life. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's people who are self-determined, and then there's the other side of this. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, who are the righteous? The righteous from Psalm 15. Psalm 15 says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who's going to live with you, God? God, who's going to be with you? Who's going to be next to you? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who's going to be able to stand in the presence of God? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friends, and whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt. It, he's made a commitment. He does it no matter what and does not change. He's never changing who does not put out his money at interest, he doesn't take advantage of people, and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Who is the person who is righteous? Who is the person who is righteous? Because you've got the prideful who say, like, I, well, I determine my life. I determine what's taking place. I determine how I should respond when difficulty comes. That's the prideful person. But then you have the righteous person who says God's law is what determines what I do. God's law is the one who determines how I should live. God's law are these things. But here's the, here's the catch in all that. Here's the catch. If Psalm 15 is the rule, just Psalm 15, like leave the rest of the Bible out of there. 
Just Psalm 15. If Psalm 15 is the rule, if that's the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. If that's the righteous, then I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Because on a regular basis, I'm somebody who cannot keep up with Psalm 15. And it's not just because I flipped off a girl 20 years ago. It's because I flipped them off in my head. And I've hated in my head. It's because of the things that I've done. So God is saying to Habakkuk here, he's saying, here you have the proud, and they are people who do whatever they want and whatever they think, but here you have the righteous. The righteous are the ones who are going to live through this ordeal. But here's my problem, is that I can't be righteous, and you can't be righteous, because I don't measure up to God's law. I don't measure up to his rules. I don't measure up to anything that he does, because here's the thing. Like, going to church is not about you just conforming your life to a new way of teaching. Saying that you're a Christian is not about you becoming this more righteous person and saying, okay, I've cleaned myself up, and so therefore I should be acceptable to God, and now I'm going to live. Being a part of the church means this. That we are people who know something, and that is that I don't meet the qualifications of Psalm 15. I don't meet the qualifications of the Ten Commandments. I don't meet the qualifications of any of those things. But that's not what it says in its entirety. It says, the righteous shall live by his faith. The Apostle Paul returns to this over and over again, three different times. Romans 1.17, he talks about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he says, for in it, in verse 17, Romans 1.17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he says in Galatians 3.11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, by doing what's right, by cleaning up their life, by becoming somebody who is more acceptable in the world, by somebody who just changes their sexuality, by somebody who just determines that I'm, I'm going to stay in my marriage no matter what, by somebody. That, no one is going to be justified before God by just simply trying to live up to his law. Why? Because I can't. Because I'm a sinner, because I'm as bad as Babylon, and worse, because I masquerade as somebody who's not Babylon, and so I'm undercover. I can't meet the qualifications. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38 the author there is saying, is saying this, you're going through persecution, life is falling apart, and then he says this, but my righteous one shall live by faith. What's it saying? What's it saying there? It's saying the New Testament is carrying over the same thing from the Old Testament in Habakkuk because Habakkuk had it right because he heard from God, and what he heard from God was this, is that the only way for you to be righteous. The only way for you to have good works is by God 
giving you those through Jesus. That's the only way. That's the only way. So what does this mean? It means this. Back to Martin Luther here for a second. Martin Luther was a monk, and he was somebody who was very concerned about his sin. He was constantly aware that he was sinful, and he was constantly going to confession, and he would just dig into his life, and he would just be like, man, and, but, but I'm still sinful, and, I'm, and if I really looked at God's law, and I tried to be right, then I... I just can't be right. And so he kept coming back to this and kept coming back to this. And so one day he's on what's called the Lateran staircase. And this is a, a staircase that apparently once led up to the house of Pilate in Jerusalem. And people during that day would crawl up this staircase on their knees as a way of penance as a way of paying for their sins. Because this is the same staircase that Jesus, as tradition has it, went up. And so here's Martin Luther, and he's punishing himself. And he's crawling up these stairs on his knees, and he's asking for forgiveness and confession, and he's crawling up, and he's crawling up. But then, all of a sudden, the words of Habakkuk 2.4 enter his mind, and he says, but the righteous shall live by faith. What's he confronted with? He's confronted with, I cannot meet the demands of God. But you know what? The prideful person says this. I have met the demands of God. I'm a pretty good person. I'm self-made. I've got this handled. I've got this under control. Here's what one commentary says. Wherever human beings rely on something of this earth, whether it be intellectual achievement or wealth or military might or aesthetic ability or, and appreciation or pride of birth and status or even the ability to cope and solve problems and master the complexities of modern life, wherever confidence is placed in human prowess and not in God for the achievement of a satisfying and secure manner of living, there true life cannot be had. The prideful person looks at their life and says, you know what, I do some good things. I help my neighbor. I, I've got this under control. I'm a pretty good person. The humble person says this, if I'm to look at God's measure of righteousness, if I am measured by that measuring stick, I am in trouble. And it says this in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the humble person is justified in this way. They look at God and they say, you are the creator and sustainer of all things for all time. You have maintained this earth through the words of your mouth. You've created everything. You hold all things together. You're the one that makes the rules. You're the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. And I 
put my trust in you. And Habakkuk is looking forward to this, to this day, to you right here and right now. And the question is this. When difficulty comes, is your faith in yourself and your own abilities to manage? Or is your faith going to be in God and say, God, I don't understand it and I don't like it, but I'm going up to my watchtower and I'm going to wait for you to answer. I don't understand it and I don't like it and I don't like the racism and I don't like the turmoil that's going on in our world, but I'm going up to my watchtower and I'm waiting for you to speak because you are God and I am not. Because you're in control and I am not. And the only hope that I have of making it through this alive, through this occupation by Babylon through the the horrific events that are about to take place in my life, the only way is by hoping in you. And the way that we hope in God is by saying, I don't meet that standard, but Jesus did. So my hope is this, is that when Jesus went to the cross... He did that for me, and he took the penalty that I deserved. Have you done that? Or are you standing in pride and saying that you're the one who makes the rules? Because you can go on and do that, and you will be used by God, but it will not be comfortable. It will not be a good thing. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, I I pray that that your message is plain today. Lord, many of us don't wait on you. We pray and then we forget. We listen to other people who are chirping in our ears. And we don't listen to your word. Lord, many of us are, are sitting on a high horse, as it were, thinking that somehow that we are the ones who are in control and who determine the way that life should go. Lord, I pray that you'd break that dependence on ourselves. Lord, we know that you bring about difficulty to show us our inability to control life. And so God, as hard and as difficult as that is, we ask that you'd show each and every one of us that, Lord, that we would understand your sovereign will Lord, they're, they're, we may not understand where, how all this is going to work out, but Lord, we have faith in you that you know how it's going to work out. And Lord, we may not understand what you have in store in its entirety, but God, we hope in you. We're just, we're hoping because you're the only thing that we have to grasp onto. So Lord, we're asking you for that. We're praying that you'd, that you'd use your word powerfully in our lives. God, that you change us from the inside out. Lord, for those that came in unbelieving, I pray that they'd lay aside their pride and say what you say about them is true. That I was so sinful that you had to die for me. But I'm so loved that you were glad to die for me. Lord, may they hope in that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.